Section 7 of History of New England, 1630-1649. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of New England, 1630-1649 by John Winthrop. Section 7, 1636. Part 1. 11th month, January. The governor and assistants met at Boston to consider about Mr. Williams, for that they were credibly informed that, notwithstanding the injunction laid upon him, upon the liberty granted him to stay till the spring, not to go about to draw others to his opinions, he did use to entertain company in his house, and to preach to them, even of such points as he had been censured for, and it was agreed to send him into England by a ship then ready to depart. The reason was, because he had drawn above twenty persons to his opinion, and they were intended to erect a plantation about the Naragnaset Bay, from whence the infection would easily spread into these churches, the people being many of them, much taken with the apprehension of his godliness. Whereupon a warrant was sent to him to come presently to Boston to be shipped, etc. He returned answer, and a verse of Salem came with it, that he could not come without hazard of his life, etc. Whereupon a pinnace was sent with commission to Captain Underhill, etc., to apprehend him, and carry him aboard the ship, which they rode at Natascot. But when they came at his house, they found he had been gone three days before, but whither they could not learn. He had so far prevailed at Salem, as many there, especially of devout women, did embrace his opinions, and separated from the churches, for this cause, that some of their members going into England did hear the ministers there, and when they came home the churches here held communion with them. This month one went by land to Connecticut and returned safe. Mr. Hugh Peter went from place to place laboring, both publicly and privately, to raise up men to a public frame of spirit, and so prevailed, as he procured a good sum of money to be raised to set on foot the fishing business to the value of blank, and wrote into England to raise as much more. The intent was to set up a magazine of all provisions and other necessities for fishing, that men might have things at hand and for reasonable prices, whereas now the merchants and seamen took advantage to sell at most excessive rates, and many things too for run, etc. Mr. Bachelor of Sagus was convented before the magistrates. The cause was, for that, coming out of England with a small body of six or seven persons, and having since received in many more at Sagus, and contention growing between him and the greatest part of the church, who had, with the rest, received him for their pastor, he desired dismission for himself and his first members, which being granted upon supposition that he would leave the town as he is given out. He with the said six or seven persons presently renewed their old covenant, intending to raise another church at Sagus, whereat the most and chief of the town being offended, for that it would cross their intentions of calling Mr. Peter or some other minister, they complained to the magistrates who, foreseeing the distraction which was like to come by this course, had forbidden him to proceed in any such church way, until the cause were considered by the other ministers, etc. But he refused to desist whereupon they sent for him, and upon his delay, day after day, the marshal was sent to fetch him. Upon his appearance and submission, and promised to remove out of the town within three months, he was discharged. 18th. Mr. Vane, footnote, the deference shown Vane at his coming partook almost of infatuation, and was due no doubt to his wealth and high connections, and in some measure, too, to the remarkable character which he manifested even as a youth. It was certainly presumptuous that, young and inexperienced as he was, he should have set himself up to be an arbiter in the disputes of the fathers and founders. In footnote. And Mr. Peter, finding some distraction in the commonwealth arising from some difference in judgment, and withal some alienation of affection among the magistrates and some other persons of quality, 
and that hereby factions began to grow among the people, some adhering more to the old governor, Mr. Winthrop, and others to the late governor, Mr. Dudley, the former carrying matters with more lenity, and the latter with more severity, they procured a meeting at Boston of the governor, deputy, Mr. Cotton, Mr. Hooker, Mr. Wilson, and there were present Mr. Winthrop, Mr. Dudley, and themselves, where, after the Lord had been sought, Mr. Vane declared the occasion of this meeting, as is before noted, and the fruit aimed at, viz., a more firm and friendly uniting of minds, etc., especially of the said Mr. Dudley and Mr. Winthrop, as those upon whom the weight of the affairs did lie, etc., and therefore desired all present to take up a resolution to deal freely and openly with the parties, and they with each other, that nothing might be left in their breasts which might break out to any jar or difference hereafter, which they promised to do. Then Mr. Winthrop spake to this effect, that when it pleased Mr. Vane to acquaint him with what he had observed of the dispositions of men's mind inclining to the said faction, etc., it was very strange to him, professing solemnly that he knew not of any breach between his brother Dudley and himself, since they were reconciled long since, neither did he suspect any alienation of affection in him or others from himself, save that of late he had observed that some newcomers had estranged themselves from him, since they went to dwell at Newtown, and so desired all the company that, if they had seen anything amiss in his government or otherwise, they would deal freely and faithfully with him, and for his part he promised to take it in good part, and would endeavor by God's grace to amend it. Then Dudley spake to this effect, that for his part he came thither a mere patient, not with any intent to charge his brother Winthrop with any thing. For though there had been formerly some differences and breaches between them, yet they had been healed, and for his part he was not willing to renew them again, and so left it to others to utter their own complaints. Whereupon the governor, Mr. Haynes, spake to this effect that Mr. Winthrop and himself had been always in good terms, etc., therefore he was loath to give any offense to him, and he hoped that, considering what the end of this meeting was, he would take it in good part if he did deal openly and freely, as his manner ever was. Then he spake one or two passages wherein he conceived that he dealt too remissly in point of justice, to which Mr. Winthrop answered that his speeches and carriage had been in part mistaken, but withal professed that it was his judgment that in the infancy of plantation, justice should be administered with more lenity than in a settled state because people were then more apt to transgress partly of ignorance of new laws and orders partly through oppression of business and other straits but if it might be made clear to him that it was an error he would be ready to take up a stricter course then the ministers were desired to consider of the question by the next morning and to set down a rule in the case the next morning they delivered their several reasons which all sorted to this conclusion that strict discipline both in criminal offences and in martial affairs was more needful in plantations than in a settled state as tending to the honour and safety of the gospel whereupon mr winthrop acknowledged that he was convinced that he had failed in overmuch lenity and remissness and would endeavour by god's assistance to take a more strict course hereafter whereupon there was a renewal of love amongst them and articles drawn to this effect one that there should be more strictness used in civil government and military discipline two that the magistrates should as far as might be ripen their consultations beforehand that their vote in public might bear as the voice of god three that in meetings of the court the magistrates should not discuss the business of parties in their presence nor deliver their opinions etc fourth that trivial things etc should be ended in towns etc fifth if differences fall out among them in public meetings they should observe these rules one not to touch any person differing but to speak to the cause two to express their difference in all modesty and due respect to the court and such as differ etc three or to propound their difference by way of question 
4. Or to desire a deferring of the cause to further time. 5. After sentence, if all have agreed, none shall intimate his dislike privately, or if one dissent he shall sit down, without showing any further distaste, publicly or privately. 6. The magistrates shall be more familiar and open each to other, and more frequent in visitations, and shall, in tenderness and love, admonish one another, without reserving any secret grudge, and shall avoid all jealousies and suspicions, each seeking the honor of another, and all of the court, not opening the nakedness of one another to private persons, in all things seeking the safety and credit of the gospel. 7. To honor the governor in submitting to him the main direction and ordering the business of the court. 8. One assistant shall not seem to gratify any man in undoing or crossing another's proceedings, without due advice with him. Ninth, they shall grace and strengthen their under-officers in their places, etc. Tenth, all contempts against the court, or any of the magistrates, shall be specially noted and punished. And the magistrates shall appear more solemnly in public, with attendance, apparel, and open notice of their entrance into the court. Footnote. Quote, Though several principles of sound policy were established, the general result of this conference must, I think, be regretted. When the administration of Winthrop was impeached by Governor Haynes for too great lenity, it seems natural that such severe tempers as Dudley and Vane and Peter should unite in the attack, and as the rest of the clergy probably agreed with their ardent brother Peter, the maxims of the first governor of the colony would be overruled. But when their united influence was strong enough to compel him to acknowledge his remissness and discipline, we are bound, as in our early history we often are, to lament the undue dictation of the church. It should be remembered that Haynes and Hooker were, at this very time, preparing to establish themselves as the Moses and Aaron of a new plantation, and that they might decently have left Massachusetts to be governed by rules, which, though not always observed, had been found beneficial by the earlier inhabitants." End quote savage in footnote month 12 february the first mr shepherd a godly minister come lately out of england and diverse other good christians intending to raise a church body came and acquainted the magistrates therewith who gave their approbation they also sent to all the neighboring churches for their elders to give their assistance at a certain day at newtown when they should constitute their body accordingly at this day there met a great assembly where the proceeding was as followed Mr. Shepherd and two others, who were after to be chosen to office, sat together in the elder's seat. Then the elder of them began with prayer. After this, Mr. Shepherd prayed with deep confession of sin, etc., and exercised out of Ephesians chapter 5, that he might make it to himself a holy, etc., and also opened the cause of their meeting, etc. Then the elder desired to know of the churches assembled, what number were needful to make a church, and how they ought to proceed in this action whereupon some of the ancient ministers conferring shortly together gave answer that the scripture did not set down any certain rule for the number three they thought were too few because by matthew chapter eighteen an appeal was allowed from three but that seven might be a fit number and for their proceeding they advised that such as were to join should make confession of their faith and declare what work of grace the lord had wrought in them which accordingly they did mr shepherd first then four others then the elder and one who was to be deacon who had also prayed and another member then the covenant was read and they gave a solemn assent to it then the elder desired of the churches that if they did approve them to be a church they would give them the right hand of fellowship whereupon mr cotton upon short speech with some others near him in the name of their churches gave his hand to the elder with a short speech of their assent and desired the peace of the lord jesus to be with them 
then mr shepherd made an exhortation to the rest of his body about the nature of their covenant and to stand firm to it and commended them to the lord in a most heavenly prayer then the elder told the assembly that they were intended to choose mr shepherd for their pastor by the name of the brother who had exercised and desired the churches that if they had anything to accept against him they would impart it to them before the day of ordination then he gave the churches thanks for their assistance and so left them to the lord footnote since a former church in newtown was now removing in its corporate capacity to connecticut a new one must be formed the elaborate detail shows that congregationalism was completely developed the usages of the church of england in which the elders were bred being entirely cast off in footnote at the last general court it was referred to the military commissioners to appoint colors for every company who did accordingly and left out the cross in all of them appointing the king's arms to be put into that of castle island footnote the spirit of endicott prevailed as regards the idolatrous emblem though a few years later when it was found the parliamentary army in england retained the cross it was restored to the colony in footnote in boston to be the first company third mr john maverick teacher of the church at dorchester died being near sixty years of age he was a blank man of very humble spirit and faithful in furthering the work of the lord here both in the churches and civil state twenty fourth mr winslow of plymouth came to treat with those of dorchester about their land at connecticut which they had taken from them it being doubtful whether that place were within our patent or not the plymouth men about three years since had treaty with us about joining and erecting a plantation and trade there we thought not fit to do anything then but gave them leave to go on whereupon they bought a portion of land of the indians and built a house there and the dorchester men without their leave were now setting down their town in the same place but after they desired to agree with them for which end mr winslow came to treat with them and demanded one-sixteenth part of the lands and a hundred pounds which those of dorchester not consenting unto they break off those of plymouth expecting to have due recompense after by course of justice if they went on but diverse resolved to quit the place if they could not agree with those of plymouth footnote see bradford in the series page three twenty seven in footnote twenty fifth the distractions about the churches of salem and sagas and the removal of other churches and the great scarcity of corn etc occasioned a general fast to be proclaimed which because the court was not at hand was moved by the elders of the churches and assented unto by the ministers the church of boston renewed their covenant this day and made a large explanation of that which they had first entered into and acknowledged such failings as had fallen out etc month one march eight a man-servant in boston having stolen from his master and being threatened to be brought before the magistrates went and hanged himself herein three things were observable one that he was a very profane fellow given to cursing etc and did use to go out of the assembly upon the lord's day to rob his master two the manner of his death being with a small codline and his knees touching the floor of the chamber and one coming in when he was scarce dead he was a maid and while she went to call out etc he was past recovery third his discontent arising from the long time he was to serve his master though he were well used the same day came a letter from his father out of the bermuda with money to buy out his time etc the rebecca came from bermuda with thirty thousand weight of potatoes and store of oranges and limes which were a great relief to our people but their corn was sold to the west indies three months before potatoes were bought there for two shillings and eight pence the bushel and sold here for two pence the pound eleven some occasions of difference had fallen out between the church of charlton and mr james their pastor 
the teacher mr sims and most of the brethren had taken offence at diverse speeches of his he being a very melancholic man and full of causeless jealousies etc for which they had dealt with him both publicly and privately but receiving no satisfaction they wrote to all the neighbouring churches for their advice and help in the case who sending chosen men most elders there met this day and finding the pastor very faulty yet because they had not proceeded with him in a due order for of the two witnesses produced one was the accuser they advised that if they could not comfortably close himself and such as stood on his part if they would should desire dismission which should be granted them for avoiding extremities but if he persisted etc the church should cast him out thirtieth mr allerton returned in his pinnace from the french at penobscot his bark was cast upon an island and beat out her keel and so lay ten days yet he got help from pimiquid and mended her and brought her home mr wither in a vessel of fifty tons going to virginia was cast away upon long island with a west-northwest wind the company being about thirty were most of them very profane persons and in their voyage did much reproach our colony vowing they would hang drown or etc before they would come hither again seven were drowned in landing some got in a small boat to the dutch plantation two were killed by the indians who took all such goods as they left on shore those who escaped went towards virginia in a dutch bark and were never heard of after but thought to be wrecked by some dutch pails etc which were found by the indians thereabout month two april the first mr mather footnote though in general the reader finds savage's genealogies quite too particular the mather family in massachusetts was so famous that space may properly be taken to describe it he says quote, this was the father of increase mather president of harvard college who is father of the more celebrated cotton mather a name that will forever be perpetuated while the strange contents of the magnalia in which are equally striking his voracious appetite and ill digestion of learning excite the curiosity of antiquaries three other sons of richard the gentleman named in our text were clergymen as also a great-grandson who was a minister in boston richard and his wife catherine were received into boston church twenty-fifth october preceding he married in his old age the widow of the great cotton and his son increase married a daughter whence the author of the magnalia obtained his name of baptism in quote in footnote and others of dorchester intending to begin a new church there a great part of the old one being gone to connecticut desired the approbation of the other churches and of the magistrates and accordingly they assembled this day and after some of them had given proof of their gifts they made confession of their faith which was approved of but proceeding to manifest the work of god's grace in themselves the churches by the elders and the magistrates etc thought them not meet at present to be the foundation of the church and thereupon they were content to forbear to join till further consideration the reason was for that most of them mr mather and one more accepted had builded their comfort of salvation upon unsound grounds viz some upon dreams and ravishes of spirits by fits others upon the reformation of their lives others upon duties and performances etc wherein they discovered three special errors one that they had not come to hate sin because it was filthy but only left it because it was hurtful two that by reason of this they had never truly closed with christ or rather christ with them but had made use of him only to help the imperfection of their sanctification and duties and not made him their sanctification wisdom etc three they expected to believe by some power of their own and not only and wholly from christ those of dorchester who had removed their cattle to connecticut before winter 
lost the greatest part of them this winter yet some which came late and could not be put over the river lived very well all the winter without any hay the people also were put to great straits for want of provisions they eat acorns and malt and grains they lost near two thousand pounds worth of cattle seventh at a general court it was ordered that a certain number of the magistrates should be chosen for life the reason was for that it was showed from the word of god etc that the principal magistrates ought to be for life accordingly the twenty-fifth of the third month john winthrop and thomas dudley were chosen to this place and henry vane by his place of governor was president of this council for his year footnote this council for life lasted for three years only it being found to excite popular jealousy against the magistrates it seems to have been constituted in the hope of tempting over some of the peers or gentry likely to become peers the members of such a council were assured a place of dignity in footnote it was likewise ordered that quarter courts should be kept in several places for ease of the people and in regard of the scarcity of victuals the remote towns should send their votes by proxy to the court of elections and that no church etc should be allowed etc that was gathered without consent of the churches and the magistrates mr benjamin's house burnt and a hundred pounds in goods lost twelfth the charity of dartmouth of one hundred and twenty tons arrived here laden with provisions she came in with a strong northwest wind and was in great danger to have been lost between allerton point and natascot but the lord in his mercy to his people delivered her after she had struck twice and upon the ebb mr peter bought all the provisions at fifty in the hundred which saved the country two hundred pounds and distributed them to all the towns as each town needed footnote an instance of hugh peter's fine spirit of practical benevolence in footnote the church of salem was still infected with mr williams his opinions so as most of them held it unlawful to hear in the ordinary assemblies in england because their foundation was anti-christian and we should by hearing hold communion with them and some went so far as they were ready to separate from the church upon it whereupon the church sent two brethren in a letter to the elders of the other churches for their advice in three points first whether for satisfying the weak they might promise not to hear in england any false church this was not thought safe because then they would draw them to the like towards the other churches here who were all of opinion that it was lawful and that hearing was not church communion second if they were not better to grant them dismission to be a church by themselves this was also opposed for that it was not a remedy of god's ordering neither would the magistrates allow them to be a church being but three men and eight women and besides it were dangerous to raise churches on such grounds third whether they ought then to excommunicate them if they did withdraw etc this was granted yet withal that if they did not withdraw or run into contempt they ought in these matters of difference of opinion and things not fundamental or nor scandalous etc to bear each with other month third may the fifteenth mr peter preaching at boston made an earnest request to the church for blank things first that they would spare their teacher mr cotton for a time that he might go through the bible and raise marginal notes upon all the knotty places of the scriptures second that a new book of martyrs might be made to begin where the other had left footnote the suggestion of a continuation of fox's book of martyrs is pathetic as coming from one whose own martyrdom twenty-four years later was so noteworthy in footnote third that a form of church government might be drawn according to the scriptures fourth that they would take order for employment of people especially women and children in the winter time for he feared that idleness would be the ruin both of church and commonwealth here arrived a ship called the st patrick belonging to sir thomas wentworth footnote 
Sir Thomas Wentworth was later the great Earl of Strafford, in footnote, deputy of Ireland, one Palmer master. When she came near Castle Island, the lieutenant of the fort went aboard her and made her strike her flag, which the master took as a great injury, and complained of it to the magistrates, who, calling the lieutenant before them, heard the cause, and declared to the master that he had no commission so to do. And because he had made them strike to the fort, which had then no colors abroad, they tendered the master such satisfaction as he desired, which is only this, that the lieutenant aboard the ship should acknowledge his error, that so all the ship's company might receive satisfaction, lest the Lord Deputy should have been informed that we had offered that discourtesy to his ship, which we never offered to any before. 25th. Henry Vane, Esquire, before mentioned, was chosen governor, and because he was son and heir to a privy councillor in England, the ships congratulated his election with a volley of great shot. The next week he invited all the masters, there were then fifteen great ships, etc., to dinner. After they had dined, he propounded three things to them. 1. That all ships, which should come after this year, should come to an anchor before they came at the fort, except they did send their boat before, and to satisfy the commander that they were friends. Second, that before they offered any goods to sail, they would deliver an invoice, etc., and give the governor, etc., twenty-four hours liberty to refuse, etc. Third, that their men might not stay on shore, except upon necessary business after sunset. These things they all willingly condescended unto. 31st. Mr. Hooker, pastor of the church at Newtown, and the most of his congregation went to Connecticut. His wife was carried in a horse litter, and they drove one hundred and sixty cattle, and fed of their milk by the way. Footnote. Hooker's departure with the Newtown church was an epoch-making event. For good account of its significance, see Johnston, Connecticut, chapter 3. The last winter Captain Mason died. He was the chief mover in all the attempts against us, and was to have sent the general governor, and for this end was providing shipping. But the Lord, in mercy, taking him away, all the business fell on sleep, so as ships came and brought what and whom they would, without any questions or control. Footnote. John Mason, patentee, under the Council for New England of Mariana, 1622, of New Hampshire and Maine, jointly with Gorgias, 1622, of New Hampshire separately, 1629, and of Laconia, jointly with Gorgias, 1629. In footnote. Diverse of the ships this spring, both out of the Downs and from Holland, came in five weeks, and Mr. Ball, his ship, went from thence to England the 16th of January, and saw land there in eighteen days. One miller, master's mate in the Hector, spake to some of our people aboard his ship, because we had not the king's colors at our fort, we were all traitors and rebels, etc. The governor sent for the master, Mr. Fern, and acquainted him with it, who promised to deliver him to us. Whereupon we sent the marshal and four sergeants to the ship for him, but the master not being aboard, they would not deliver him, whereupon the master went himself and brought him to the court, and the words being proved against him by two witnesses, he was committed. The next day the master, to pacify his men, who were in a great tumult, requested he might be delivered to him, and did undertake to bring him before us again the day after, which was granted him, and he brought him to us at the time appointed. Then, in the presence of all the rest of the masters, he acknowledged his offense, and set his hand to a submission, footnote, for the language of Miller's submission, see Colonial Records, volume 1, page 179, and was discharged. Then the governor desired the masters that they would deal freely, and tell us, if they did take any offense, and what they required of us. 
they returned that in regard they should be examined upon their return what colors they saw here they did desire that the king's colors might be spread at our fort it was answered that we had not the king's colors thereupon two of them did offer them freely to us we replied that for our parts we were fully persuaded that the cross in the ensign was idolatrous and therefore might not set it in our ensign but because the fort was the king's and maintaining his name we thought that his own colors might be spread there so the governor accepted the colors of captain palmer and promised they should be set up at castle island we had conferred overnight with mr cotton etc about the point the governor and mr dudley and mr cotton were of the opinion that they might be set up at the fort upon this distinction that it was maintained in the king's name others not being so persuaded answered that the governor and mr dudley being two of the council and being persuaded of the lawfulness etc might use their power to set them up some others being not so persuaded could not join in the act yet would not oppose as being doubtful etc june twenty eighth sixteen thirty six the governor and john winthrop returned a letter of thanks to mr robert houghton of southwark brewer and mr wim hickok etc for tin barrels of gunpowder which they sent to this colony the last year upon the motions of captain underhill footnote this passage was written by john winthrop in another part of the manuscript volume but we are apparently warranted in treating it as a portion of the journal and footnote month five july ninth the governor etc went to salem many ships lying ready at natascot to set sail mr peter went down and preached aboard the hector and the ships going forth met with an east wind which put them in again whereupon he stayed and kept the sabbath with them fifth mr buckley and mr jones two english ministers appointed this day to gather a church at newtown to settle at concord they sent word three days later to the governor and deputy to desire their presence but they took it in ill part and thought not fit to go because they had not come to them before as they ought to have done and as others had done before to acquaint them with their purpose mr winthrop jr gave five pounds towards the building of the meeting-house in charlton i sent it by james brown twentieth john gallop with one man more and two little boys coming from connecticut in a bark of twenty tons intending to put in at long island to trade and being at the mouth of the harbor were forced by a sudden change of the wind to bear up for block island or fisher's island lying before an aragneset where they espied a small pinnace which drawing near unto they found to be mr oldham's an old planter footnote john gallop and john oldham heretofore described as adventurous sailors and traders along the coast stand now as the prominent figures at the outset of the Pequot war in footnote and a member of watertown congregation who had been long out a trading having with him only two english boys and two indians of naragaset so they held him but he had no answer and the deck was full of indians fourteen in all and a canoe was gone from her full of indians and goods whereupon they suspected they had killed john oldham and the rather because the indians let slip and set up sail being two miles from shore and the wind and tide being off the shore of the island whereby they drove towards the main at naragaset whereupon they went ahead of them and having but two pieces and two pistols and nothing but duck shot they bear up near the indians who stood ready armed with guns pikes and swords and let fly among them and so galled them as they all got under hatches then they stood off again and returning with a good gale they stemmed her upon the quarter and almost overset her which so frightened the indians as six of them leaped overboard and were drowned yet they durst not board her but stood off again and fitted their anchor so as stemming her the second time they bored her bow through with their anchor and so sticking fast to her they made diverse shot through her 
being but inchboard, and so raked her fore and aft, as they must needs kill or hurt some of the Indians, but seeing none of them come forth, they got loose from her and stood off again. Then four or five more of the Indians jumped into the sea, and were likewise drowned. So there being now but four left in her, they boarded her, whereupon one Indian came up and yielded, him they bound and put into hold. Then another yielded, whom they bound. But John Gallop, being well acquainted with her skill to untie themselves, if two of them be together, and having no place to keep them asunder, he threw them bound into the sea. And looking about, they found John Holdem under an old sign, stark naked, his head cleft to the brains, and his arms and legs cut, as if they had been cutting them off, and yet warm. So they put him into the sea, but could not get to the other two Indians, who were in a little room underneath with their swords. So they took the goods which were left, and the sails, etc., and towed the boat away. But night coming on, and wind rising, they were forced to turn her off, and the wind carried her to the Narangaset shore. 26. The two Indians who were with Mr. Oldham and one another came from Canonicus, the chief sachem of Narangaset, with a letter from Mr. Williams to the governor, to certify him what had befallen Mr. Oldham, and how grievously they were afflicted, and that Miantunama was gone, with seventeen canoes and two hundred men to take revenge, etc. But, upon examination of the Indian who was brought prisoner to us, we found that all the sachems of the Narangaset, except Canonicus and Miantunama, were the contrivers of Mr. Oldham's death, and the occasion was, because he went to make peace and trade with the Picards last year, as is before related. The prisoner said also that Mr. Oldham's two Indians were acquainted with it, but because they were sent as messengers from Canonicus, we would not imprison them. But the governor wrote back to Mr. Williams to let the Narangnesets know that we expected they should send us the two boys and take revenge upon the islanders, and withal gave Mr. Williams a caution to look to himself if we should have occasion to make war upon the Narangnesets, for Block Island was under them. And the next day, 27th, he wrote to Canonicus by one of those two Indians, and that he had suspicion of him, etc., yet he had sent him back because he was a messenger, but did not expect that, if he should send for the said two Indians, he should send them to us to clear themselves. 30th. Mr. Oldham's two boys were sent home by one of Miantunama, his men, with a letter from Mr. Williams signifying that Miantunama had caused the sachem of Niantic to send to Block Island for them, and that he had near one hundred fathom of wampum and other goods of Mr. Oldham's, which should be reserved for us, and that three of the seven which were drowned were sachems, and one of the two which were hired by the sachem of Niantic was dead also. So we wrote back to have the rest of those which were accessory to be sent to us, and the rest of the goods, that he should tell Canonicus and Miantinema that we held them innocent, but that six other under-sachems were guilty, etc. Month 6, August the 3rd. Samuel Maverick, who had been in Virginia near twelve months, now returned with two pinnaces, and brought some fourteen heifers and about eighty goats, having lost above twenty goats by the way. One of his pinnaces was about forty tons of cedar built at Barbath's footnote, Barbados, in footnote, and brought to Virginia by Captain Powell, who there dying she was sold for a small matter. There died in Virginia, by his relation, this last year, above eighteen hundred, and corn was there at twenty shillings a bushel, the most of the people having lived a great time of nothing but first lane, etc. It is very strange what was related by him and many others, that, above sixty miles up James River, they dig nowhere, but they find the ground full of oyster shells and fishes' bones, etc. Yea, he affirmed that he saw the bone of a whale taken out of the earth, where they digged for a well eighteen feet deep. 
8th, Lieutenant Edward Gibbons, footnote, Gibbons rose to the rank of assistant and major general of the forces, in footnote, and John Higginson, with Kuchamikin, the Sagamore of Massachusetts, were sent to Canonicus to treat with him about the murder of John Oldham. They returned, being very well accepted, and good success in their business. They observed in the sachem much state, great command over his men, and marvelous wisdom in his answer and the carriage of the whole treaty, clearing himself and his neighbors of the murder, and offering assistance for revenge of it, yet upon very safe and wary conditions. 25th. The governor and council, having lately assembled the rest of the magistrates and ministers, to advise of them about doing justice upon the Indians for the death of Mr. Oldham, and all agreeing that it should be attempted with expedition, did this day send forth ninety men, distributed to four commanders, Captain John Underhill, Captain Nathaniel Turner, Ensign Jennison, and Ensign Davenport, and over them all as General John Endicott, Esquire, one of the assistants, was sent. They were embarked in three pinnaces, and carried two shallops and two Indians with them. They had commissioned to put to death the men of Lock Island, but to spare the women and children, and to bring them away to take possession of the island, and from thence to go to the Picards to demand the murderers of Captain Stone and other English, and one thousand fathom of wampum for damages, etc., and some of their children as hostages, which if they should refuse, they were to obtain it by force. No man was impressed for the service, but all went voluntaries. 26. Miantunama, Sachin of Naragnasat, sent a messenger to us with a letter from Mr. Williams to signify to us that they had taken one of the Indians who had broken prison and was escaped away and had him safe for us when we would send for him. We had before sent to him to that end, and the other, being also of Block Island, he had sent away, not knowing, as it seemed, that he had been our prisoner. According to their promise, that they would not entertain any of that island which should come to them. But we conceived it was rather in love to him, for he had been a servant formerly. We sent for the two Indians. One was sent us, the other was dead before the messengers came. A ship of one hundred and twenty tons was built at Marblehead and called the Desire. Sevenber, September 8th. At a general court, a levy was made of one thousand two hundred pounds to pay the country's debts. The trade of beaver and wampum was to be farmed, and all others restrained from trading. 23rd. A new church was gathered at Dorchester with approbations of the magistrates and elders, etc. August 24th. Footnote. This entry is put in by John Winthrop out of course, a September entry having preceded. He no doubt desired to have in one narrative his account of Endicott's expedition, and goes back here to the outset of the undertaking. End footnote. John Endicott, Esquire, and four captains under him, with twenty men apiece, set sail. They arrived at Block Island, the last of the same. The wind blowing hard at northeast, there was so great a surf, as they had much to do to land, and about forty Indians were ready upon the shore to entertain them with their arrows, which they shot oft at our men, but being armed with corslets, they had no hurt. Only one was lightly hurt upon his neck, and another here his foot. So as soon as one man leaped on shore, they all fled. The island is about ten miles long, and four broad, full of small hills, and all overgrown with brushwood of oak, no good timber in it, so as they could not march but in one file and in the narrow paths. There were two plantations, three miles in sunder, and about sixty wigwams, some very fair and large, and above two hundred acres of corn, some gathered and laid on heaps, and the rest standing. When they had spent two days in searching the island, and could not find the Indians, they burnt the wigwams, and all their mats, and some corn, 
and staved seven canoes and departed. They could not tell what men they killed, but some were wounded and carried away by their fellows. Thence they went to the mouth of the Connecticut, where they lay wind-bound four days, and taking thence twenty men and two shallops, they sailed to the Pequot harbor, where an Indian came to them in a canoe, and demanded what they were and what they would have. The general told him, We are come from the governor of Massachusetts to speak with their sachems. He told him, Sassacus was gone to Long Island. Then he bade him, Go tell the other sachem, etc. So he departed, and in the meantime our men landed, but with much danger, as the Indians had made use of their advantage, for all the shore was high, rugged rocks, etc. Then the messenger returned, and the Indians began to gather about our men till there were about three hundred of them, and some four hours passed while the messenger went to and fro, bringing still excuses for the sachems not coming. At last the general told the messenger, and the rest of the Indians near, the particulars of his commission, and sent him to tell the sachem that if he would not come to him, nor yield to those demands, he would fight with them. The messenger told them that their sachem would meet him, if our men would lay down their arms, as his men should do their bows, etc. When the general saw they did but dally to gain time, he bade them be gone, and shift for themselves, for they had dared the English to come fight with them, and now they were come for that purpose. Thereupon they all withdrew. Some of our men would have made a shot at them, but the general would not suffer them. But when they were gone and out of musket shot, he marched after them, supposing they would have stood to it a while, as they did to the Dutch. But they all fled, and shot at our men from the thickets and rocks, but did us no harm. Two of them our men killed, and hurt others. So they marched up to their town, and burnt all their wigwams and mats, but their corn being standing, they could not spoil it. At night they returned to their vessels, and the next day they went ashore on the west side of the river, and burnt all the wigwams, and spoiled their canoes, and so set sail, and came to the Naragnaset, where they landed their men, and the fourteenth of Sevenbur, they came all safe to Boston, which was a marvelous providence of God, that not a hair fell from the head of any of them, nor any sick or feeble person among them. As they came by Naragnaset, Kuchumikin, an Indian, went with them for an interpreter who, being armed with a corslet and a piece, had crept into a swamp and killed a Bequat, and having flayed off the skin of his head, footnote, scalping, though usual in Canada, was not at this time customary among the Indians of southern New England, in footnote, he sent it to Canonicus, who presently sent it to all the sachems about him, and returned many thanks to the English, and sent four fathom of wampum to Kupshimakin. The soldiers who went were all voluntaries, and had only their victuals provided, but demanded no pay. The whole charge of their voyage came to about two hundred pounds. The seamen had all wages. Footnote. The reprisals of Endicott, as to ruthlessness, appear to be of a piece with the harsh warfare against Indians of later times. Palliation may be found in the fact that the Pequots were interlopers, a body perhaps of Iroquois extraction, which had thrust itself in between the Mohigans and Aragnesets, and preyed like wolves upon its neighbors left and right. The condition of the colonies was indeed very critical. Had the Pequots succeeded, as but for Roger Williams they probably would have done, in forming a union with the Aragnesets, the English could hardly have maintained themselves. See Ellis, John Mason, in Sparks' American Biography, 2nd Series, Volume 3, page 360. In footnote, the Naragnasat men told us after that thirteen of the Pequods was killed and forty wounded, and but one of Block Island killed. At the last general court, order was taken to restrain the trade with the Indians, and the governor and council appointed to let it to farm for a rent to be paid to the treasury. 
the inhabitants of boston who had taken their farms and lots at mount wollaston finding it very burdensome to have their business etc so far off desired to gather a church there many meetings were about it the great let was in regard it was given to boston for upholding the town and church there which end would be frustrated by the removal of so many chief men as would go thither for helping this it was propounded that such as dwelt there should pay sixpence the acre yearly for such lands as lay within a mile of the water and threepence for that which lay further off a ship of barnstaple arrived here with eighty heifers another from bristol arrived a fortnight after with some cattle and passengers but she had delivered most of her cattle and passengers at pascatiquac for sir ferdinando gorges his plantation at aquamenticus canonicus sent word of some english whom the pequods had killed at saybrook and mr williams wrote that the pequods and naragnesets were at truce and that miantinamo told him that the pequods had laboured to persuade them that the english were minded to destroy all indians whereupon we sent for miantinamo to come to us another windmill was erected at boston and one at charlestown and a watermill at salem and another at ipswich and another at newbury End of section seven.